This is Stage Right, and I am your host, John Thorne. They say if you die with a handful of friends, you die a rich man. Well, I have several buses full, and I'm very excited to share them all with you. Thank you for joining me today. This is Stage Right. I am your host, John Thorne. This is episode seven, and my guest today is Kirk Sullivan from the group For Him. Kirk will be here in just a minute, but first I want to run this by you. Long, long ago, before the internet, if you wanted to play music for an audience, you had to literally get in a vehicle of some kind and travel to where the people were. I've done tours where I drove my own car. I've done tours where the band had a passenger van and we took turns driving. I've done a lot of bus tours, I've flown over a zillion miles, and I've even done tours in motorhomes that broke down often on the side of the road. Now you can sit and make music in your bedroom and put it on YouTube or Spotify and hope that people find you, but the adventure of going to where the people are seems to be a dying strategy in trying to build a career. My guest today, Kirk Sullivan, is one of the hardest working people in Christian music over the past 40 years. He traveled in truth twice sang in another group called Priority, sang on the PTL Club with Jim and Tammy Baker, and spent over 20 years total touring and singing all over the world with For Him. Hey Rockstar provides digital marketing software and services to generate more leads, more exposure, and more revenue for your business or organization. Let Hey Rockstar amplify your awesomeness. Three-time Dove Award winner for Group of the Year, eight-time overall Dove Award winner, gold album for Basics of Life. Check this out. We need to get back to the basics of life. A heart that is pure and a love that... So, ladies and gentlemen, one of the best voices I know, Mr. Kirk Sullivan. <laughs> Say hi to the people, Kirk. Ain't no pressure there. Hi, people. <laughs> hi, hi, people. Say hi to all my people. <laughs> hey, hey, guys. Thanks for listening to John. I know he appreciates it. I do. I, I do appreciate it. Today, they're listening to you. All right. So, real quick, tell everybody where you were this weekend. I was in uh, Palm Coast, Florida, uh, for him that has done a... Uh, done a golf tournament with the National Christian College Athletic Association for, I don't know, since the mid-late 90s. And they're an awesome organization, and they raise money for athletic departments for college uh, Christian colleges and universities all over the country. And they, they give scholarships, and they do all kinds of great things. It's one of the one of the greatest organizations I know, fundraising organizations. If you ever get a chance to go to one of their golf tournaments, it is, it's spectacular. And also we, uh, who knows until, you know, we're all showing up in wheelchairs. We'll probably do a concert there every year. <laughs> That's awesome. So you got to see the guys then. I did. Uh, well, uh, there, it was three him actually. Oh, no way. Yeah. Marty didn't get to come. Marty is a, um, is the dean of recording arts at a uh, private school in Colorado. Right. Of course, he teaches them recording arts, and he teaches. They have songwriting class, and you know he brings in artists 
uh, I mean, he brings in people like, you know, Stephen Curtis Chapman. And, right. and so once over two years, he takes them to Nashville and introduces them to, you know, engineers and producers and songwriters that we, we have worked with over the years. Uh, you know, he takes them and Amy Grant and, and Michael W. Smith and people like that have been so gracious to speak. Um, into his students' lives, lives. So it's a very cool thing. All right, Kirk. Let's go back in time in the Wayback Machine. So you and I met on August seventeenth, nineteen eighty-seven, when I joined Truth, and I was shocked when I walked in and you were there, because I remembered you from the early eighties when I was at Lee, and you guys were in in Cleveland recording. I believe it was Keeper of My Heart. We recorded all of our uh, well. All but one record there. In Cleveland. In Cleveland. We did an album called, called Miracles, which was a custom album. I remember that. Before uh, Keeper My Heart, and then we did Keeper My Heart and one more. And I think the, the the Christmas album we did in Nashville. So Okay. Now, were you, you were on Miracles, too? I was. I sang a song called He Will Carry You. That's right. Oh, my gosh. So you were there. When I was in college, you were in Truth already. That's, yeah. Because I remember... I remember we shall see Jesus is one of my all time favorite songs ever. And I remember when I walked in and I saw you, I thought, Oh my God, there's the dude that saying we shall see Jesus. So I was, I was ecstatic that I was going to be in the group with you. That was very cool. Yeah. The sound man, when I would walk on the bus, the first few weeks, he was always sitting by the stereo system in front of the bus. And every time I walk on the bus, he'd queue up. <laughs> we got old real quick. Okay, Kirk, so tell everyone the story about the arrangement of We Shall See Jesus. Well, when I got in Truth, uh, I, I joined the first week in ni- 1981. Truth predominantly did Southern Baptist churches, and because the group came out of a Southern Baptist church, and Roger was a Southern Baptist minister of music, which makes perfect sense because all of his contacts are. So when I came in, I was this Pentecostal boy. And <laughs> I grew up in the Sumas of God, you know, uh, mom, dad, mom was the church pianist. Grandma played guitar in the orchestra. Grandpa was the head deacon for 30 years and daddy was a song leader. So that's what I grew up with. I grew up with Andre Crouch and, um, cause I love black gospel. That's just kind of what I levitated to. Right. So when I got in the group, he just kind of didn't know. And it was nobody's fault. and just didn't know what to do with me. And so he sits me down and going, you know, I just don't know what I'm, I'm going to do. Uh, you know, and so what he had done is he had called and uh, my replacement was on the way. <laughs> oh, wow. That happened periodically. Somebody just doesn't work out and they re- replace them. It's just kind of. Right. So obviously I got to stay. Um, I'd been in the group about six months. We recorded the Miracles album. I recorded He Will Carry You, which is not really what I grew up with. But I sang, you know, I was just happy to be there. Right. You know, whatever you hand me, I'm going to sing. So. Uh, a guy named Mike Wells, who was the music director in the group, he and uh, the producer, Stephen B. Taylor, found this song called We Shall See Jesus. Now, you have to understand, We Shall See Jesus, uh, those of you guys who are listening, was in 4-4, and it was twangy country. The lead guitar part in the front was... That's what it was. So I said, okay, I'll sing it. So we sang it that way for a couple of months. So, you know, we go in to record Keeper My Heart, and Stevie looks at me and he goes, listen to this. And they roll the track to We Shall See Jesus. And I about lost my mind (laughs) because he had just done this crazy, incredible thing with it. And so I sang my brains out. I I sang over my head. (laughs) and uh, so that particular song sealed my destiny uh, my my destiny in truth and at that point roger kind of knew what to do with me dude i gotta say it is one of the all-time great truth vocals i appreciate that it was uh i was singing for my life (laughs) (laughs) i was see nobody here's here's what's funny is that even when i came back in the group People thought, well, you know, here comes this guy, and he, you know, he thinks he's a star. And I was like, heck no, I'm singing just to keep my place. Right. I'm singing, I'm singing, I'm nearly every night I'm singing scared. 
just because I want to keep, you know, I just want to keep my place. Because I, I, I get on the bus, I'm I'm on the bus with a lot of great singers. Right. Uh, Mark Harris, Marty McGee, Andy Crispin. Go back to the first time you were in Truth. Kim Noblet. Yeah. He, well, he was he was gone uh, like a year after I got on the bus. Kim graduated college and he came back on the road. Oh, you know, man. so I have all those past great singers. I mean, we're talking about Steve Green. And, right. I mean, I mean, all those singers in the past. And I'm just trying to, you know, Jesus help me. I just want to stay here. You know, so that was my I think I became a better singer over time just because every night was a. A new audition. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny because if we played a college afterwards, Mark would be doing auditions for people that wanted to get in the group someday. And, dude, there could be as many as 50 or 60 people sitting there waiting to audition, and they were all singers. He was auditioning, and I was auditioning also. Yep, I remember that. And then it got down to Mark became road manager, and he didn't want to do that anymore. So, <laughs> so I started doing all the auditions. And if I liked them, I passed them on to Mark. And if Mark liked them, liked, liked them you know. Right. Hey, Kirk, for those that don't know, tell everyone, describe Truth, and then talk about the impact that it had on Christian music. Truth was a group uh, that traveled. We probably did approaching 345 concerts a year, and we played per, uh, nearly everything we did. Now, I would say about 95% of what we did were churches. Right. And uh, in the beginning, in the 70s, especially the, the popular music back then was written by, you know, uh, Bill Gates, you know, and he, he wrote a lot of the great music, you know, because he lives and I mean, and the list goes on. So truth was a church group. And then everywhere we went and we played a lot of colleges too, everywhere we went, they auditioned people who wanted to be in the group. And that, that's how we got our people mm -hmm. from colleges and churches and, and that kind of thing. And, and that was everybody. Most of the musicians were referrals, uh, the trumpet players. And the, I mean, John, you were a referral, you know. Right. But singers, that had to be up close and personal mm -hmm. uh, audition. That's the reason why if you ever went to a truth concert, you'd have one from Texas, one from, I mean, <laughs> we had one from Alaska. You know? Right. So that made us a very, a lot of, uh, we had Methodist. Baptist Assemblies of God, and then when Mark got in the group, Mark was a graduate of uh, Lee University, and so we started doing a lot more Pentecostal Church of Gods, and so that kind of opened up truth repertoire, so to speak, uh, in the diversity you know of places we played. Right. There we have a the truth. Uh, people who left truth became there are several who, who became artists. Lots and lots of ministers of music a lot of pastors. Tell everyone some of the more well-known artists and uh, faces and voices that came out of truth. Well, um, aside from, aside from the, the Mount Rushmore of for him themselves. Right. Well, Alicia Williamson was an integrity artist, integrity artist. Yep. Uh, Steve Green was a, a huge artist in the, in the eighties and nineties. Um, what's the girl that I can't remember her name. I, she was after us. Natalie Grant, Natalie Grant, uh, Russ Lee, whom you would know mm -hmm. as the front man for New Song. Yep. Avalon, Jody, and Jana. Yeah, Avalon. All but one of the original members was uh, Truth. Rick Kittleman, what was it? Rick Kittleman, Jana Potter then. Right now, what's funny is that one of the members of the group, her name is Tabitha Anatebi. And uh, Tabitha was a really good friend of mine from Oklahoma. Oh, wow. I had no idea she was going to be, be there. I had to audition as a group. Going, oh, my gosh. You know, because I, I, at that point, had known her since I was like 18 or 19 years old. Right. Okay. So I want to throw out some names, and I want you to tell me what comes to your mind first. Alrighty. Roger Breland. Roger is kind of like my musical dad. Roger was kind of tough on everybody. Not all the time, but there was a certain way to do things. Truth ran like a machine. Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody had a job. Of course, you know when you go to go to a church, you, you know you're setting up sound and lights. You know for, you know we had enough stuff for up to probably a five thousand seat auditorium. Right. And also, you know how you conduct yourselves. And I don't think for him and some of the artists would have been ready to do the years they did on the road and be effective ministers without being honed in truth because if you spend 
two or three years on the truth bus, you're either going to bend or you're going to break and you're going to have to leave the group. Right. You know, there's an, there's an etiquette when you're in a church. Right. And of course, one of the things that we pulled from truth was that for him every night and, and every once in a while we were asked not to, we, we gave an altar call. That's awesome. You know, we had thousands and thousands of people get saved uh, at our concerts and the last tour we did, you know, we would have people come up and, they're married and had a couple of kids and their first date was a for him concert. Oh, no, That's awesome. Yeah. And then we did a reunion tour. What was it? 2015. And of course they bring their kids and their kids, you know, 15, 16 years old <laughs> right, uh, and older. And they were for him fans because they're, that's what their mom and dad listened to. So right. that's kind of what that that's pretty much is the legacy of Roger Breland. He has influenced and been, a spiritual father to a lot of ministries. Absolutely. I used to tell JRB um, that he was like the Dick Clark of Christian music because he gave everyone, literally almost everyone in Christian music, their start. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like it could be JRB. And then the first time you ever saw Kirk Sullivan was in truth or the first time you ever saw Jody McBrayer or Mark Harris, it was in truth. It was, it was pretty f- spectacular what he did for all of us. Yeah. Okay. Next name, Gordon Twist. <laughs> I would love to get Gordon on the podcast sometime. Gordon is my musical dad. Right. Uh, let me give a preface on Gordon Twist. Gordon Twist is about five, five. Am I stretching that? Not much. <laughs> it's five, like... four, five, five. And it's got more energy than 20 people combined. Right. Gordon was uh, the keyboard player in the very early years of truth. And he is a keyboard player extraordinaire. And so after Gordon left the road, Gordon went and produced and, uh, and lived in New York. So when they had a big changeover in truth, like, you know, you have, you would have several people leave and Roger would have, you know, 10 people coming in. He'd bring Gordon in or to shape everybody up. Right. And, or come rehearse at Christmas time, you know, the Christmas music. Mm-hmm. If you weren't ready for Gordon, some of the girls weren't ready for Gordon. Right. <laughs> yeah, because emotionally, it's like, what a boy's down to. He tries to pull everything that you have on the inside of you emotionally. And the reason is because singers sing and perform their emotions and their spirituality directly affect their singing. Right. So Gordon was always trying to pull that thing out. He used to do this thing where he act like he was pulling a rope out of you. Mm-hmm. He'd stand in front of you and he'd do all this. I mean, it was exhausting. But Gordon, he made everybody better than what they thought they could be. And that was, that's what Gordon twisted. Well, the thing I loved about Gordon is he didn't look at how good anybody was. He looked at how good they could be. And his goal, exactly. his goal wasn't making you feel good. His goal was making you better. Exactly. And then years later, you go, oh, yeah. I get what you did. You almost kill me doing it. But. <laughs> right. <laughs> Dude, the first time when I first came in, this was just like two weeks after you got back. When you came back the second time, Mike Childers, Mark Bovey, and I were all brand new in the rhythm section. So we come in for our first day of rehearsal, the new rhythm section with Gordon Twist. You guys weren't there because the singers didn't come in until we got stuff fixed. Gordon says, okay, first song, Spirit of David. Well, I didn't read music. So for my audition to get ready for truth, I had memorized the last seven truth albums. <laughs> so I could have played any song on the last seven truth albums from memory. So we get to the first song ever with Gordon Twist and me in the same room, kick off the song. And if you remember going from the first chorus into the second verse, there was that horn riff. Da 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 da. Well, when it's just four people on stage with no singers and no horns, I missed that cue because I had never heard the song without the horn riff. And I missed the cue, and he stops. And he comes over, and he points his little baton in my face. <laughs> and he says, do we have a problem? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, no, man, there's no problem. I said, I'm just used to... I'm just used to hearing the horn, you know, riff there going back into the second verse. I'm sorry. And he looked at me. He didn't smile. He didn't smirk. He didn't grin. And he said, you either know the song or you don't know the song. (laughs) And he looked at me and said, do you know the song? (laughs) 
<laughs> and I laughed so hard. I'm like, yes, I know the song. It won't happen again. And that was the day I realized this is not the Kansas anymore. <laughs> no, dude. Gordon didn't miss a thing. And the funny thing, dude, he could have, there could be all 16 of us playing. Eight singers, four horns, and four rhythm section. And if the trombone was flat on a note, he could hear it and would stop us and fix it. Yeah. It was so remarkable to be in that room. Gordon, Gordon is a producer. He definitely is. I could not overstate how important Gordon Twist was to my musical development. Yeah. Crazy. All right. One more name. Michael Omardian. Here's what's funny. Now, for those who don't know who Michael Omardian is, Michael Omardian produced and... In one night, he won five Grammys for the first Christopher Cross record. If you've ever heard Sailing or Theme from Arthur to all those big songs, he did Soul Provider for Michael Bolton. Uh, Mike, Michael Martin probably sold in the 80s and 90s, he probably sold 100 million records. Right. He's played and written for everybody. Uh, so our fourth record was a record called The Ride. And so since the previous record had done so well, The Basics of Life, they said, okay, you can pick a producer. Who, who, what is your wish list? And so two producers came to mind. One was Michael Amartian because he had also done the Imperials, uh, One More Priority and One More Song for You, yeah. which were huge records for the Imperials. And then at that point, there had been a record called that came out called Go West by, um, oh, no, it was a group Go West. It was called Indian Summer. Yes. And so... Peter Wolf had produced on that record, and we were just... You know who played that record for me first? It was you. <laughs> yep, I remember that. Yeah, in the car. Yep. And so I took it I took it to the guys, and we were listening on the bus, you know? So those are two... Well, sure enough, they got both of them. Mm. So anyway, Michael O'Marty, and I didn't know this until years and years later, but when I was seven, maybe, eight, maybe, there was a guy in Oklahoma City. His name was Larry Benson. And Larry had is a phenomenal musician. He's played piano for every the Statesman. The, I mean, all the big quartets. And he, he actually had a studio in Nashville. Uh, but anyway, he moved back to Oklahoma City, where he's from. My dad and my uncle knew him, and so he he opened the premier recording studio in Oklahoma City in the '60s. So he told my uncle, he said, "Why don't you come down?" He said, uh, "I just got the studio built. They put it in." Uh, in an older house, you know, and he did, he redid the inside, you know, did the padding and the, you know, the whole thing. And uh, so my uncle couldn't go. So he told my dad and he took me. So we get in there and Larry tells us, well, we've got this, you know, hot snot producer from LA. <laughs> I was eight years old. It's Michael Amari. <laughs> right. So years later, we're in the studio and when I'm talking about, I say Larry Benson. He goes, no, you know, Larry. Yeah. Cause Larry and Omar were going to start a studio in Oklahoma city. And then, and he got a contract with Warner brothers as a producer and writer. Hmm. So some of my fondest memories in for him is without a doubt, Michael Martin. That is so cool. I love, I love the other guys, but I developed um, a kinship with Omar. I, I, yeah, I love that boy. He did such a great job on our record. I mean, yes, oh he did. Uh, for those of you who like the hint, the hymns album, he produced the entire hymns album. That's great. Usually we had multiple producers and they would do two or three songs a piece, mm -hmm. but him's out. We got Omar to do the whole thing. He's brilliant. He's also, his wife is uh, stormy is a, uh, a well-known writer. Right. Okay. So when you were in the studio with him, did you guys get a good laugh over you meeting him when you were so young? Well, I didn't know it then. Oh, you didn't? No. I, I mean, we were, I wasn't even thinking about it years and years later, what, three years ago, I finally got, in touch with this guy, his name the Larry Benson, and you know I almost started a recording studio with Michael Martin. I go what? And I started talking to him. You know when I was a kid, you invited my uncle and he couldn't go. He says, "Yeah, that was Omar." <laughs> <laughs> you didn't know until just a few years ago. No, I didn't. I didn't know. I didn't put that together. I knew while we were recording with Omar, while we were still making records, he knew. Yeah, yeah. Larry, but I didn't know that was him that I had seen in the studio when I was like eight or nine years old. Oh, that is wild, dude. And that would have made Omar a very young man. He's probably 20. Right. Oh, that was around the Dr. Jesus years. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a few questions. You can give me long or short answers. Totally your option. Let's do the short. <laughs> well, <laughs> they're your favorite. answers. You can make them what you want. <laughs> okay. My daughter, every time I mention you guys, my youngest daughter wants to know, do you remember teaching her to use chopsticks? 
I actually do. I think she's the only one ever taught how to use chopsticks. <laughs> well, it worked because she still uses them. Yeah, sushi on, baby. Sushi on. That's right. Okay, next question. I have to mention, Kirk, I can't have you on without mentioning the Gospel Music Hall of Fame. Are you kidding me? Yeah, well, that's what I thought when, they, when I first heard about it. So tell everyone about it and then tell me this. What does it feel like? Because I know you're a huge fan of contemporary Christian music, gospel music, quartet music. What in the world does it feel like to be inducted into the Gospel Music Hall of Fame? Okay, well, first of all, it's been enough years now. I mean, I was beginning to wonder. I didn't think we were going to get nominated for it. I mean, we just weren't our first record company. We just, it just wasn't, they didn't play politics. Um, so although we had, we were having success, right. we were just kind of the, music industry, we were, we were a little bit the redheaded stepchild. So anything we won was an act of God. I mean, it really was. So we we thought, man, we've won new artists. We thought, man, that's great. If that's the only one we get, you know, <laughs> fine. But And I even have a couple of friends that are on the GMA board. <laughs> and it took that long. Well, like, you, I can sway somebody to, you know. Right, right. So mark harris sends us a text he says hey we just got nominated for the guy for you know we just got inducted into the hall of fame and i was like what that is so cool I, I was overwhelmed we were all overwhelmed right because i mean the the greats that are you know that paved the way before us you know the the statesmen the blackwood brothers the you know andre crouch you know the imperials yeah the imperials i mean just all the greats and that's who yep. we you know, we listened to and right. were influenced by, and yeah. I was in a daze for like a week. We were all calling each <laughs> other going, can you believe that? And we're going, no, I really can't. <laughs> I just... Well, nobody deserves it any more than you guys, because I know how hard you worked for like 25 years. There's a lot of, um, there were a lot of miles and a, a lot of work. Or the 25-year <laughs> yeah. overnight yeah. success. <laughs> I'm going to write that book. Got to be a 25-year overnight success. Yep. Yeah, everybody who wants a record contract have no idea. They have no idea. They can't even scratch the surface in the thought process of, right. of what it takes to get from where you are to getting a gold record or winning right. an award. Sadly, Kirk, I don't think people now, this generation, I don't think they would put the work in that it takes. No. Because they think that they're already great. <laughs> Everybody that's got a YouTube channel, they're an artist, man. Yep. Home computer <laughs> and YouTube. anybody because everybody starts, you know, somewhere. Yeah. I started when I was three years old, right. standing on a stage uh, in front of an auditorium that only held, if you have people standing in the back, ninety people. Right. So that's what I I went from a really big fish in a small pond to a guppy in the ocean if you know right. what i'm saying because you walk on the truth bus and i don't care who you are you got a whole busload full of talented people right and by far i was not even close to being the best singer there because even if you did great one night and you did the but you did the best of all the singers that night well next night that's going to change yeah <laughs> that was a good thing the crazy thing about truth is not only was it stacked with talent but the songs that they found were just the most amazing songs and you combine those amazing songs with that talent and you've got a training ground that we don't have anymore and you have gatekeepers that aren't there anymore and it just seems to me that um, the church is missing that where there's a place where kids can actually excel learn grow and be told they could be better here's the deal is that though although though the, ch the church has changed a little bit you know every church now has a recording studio and a their own label. I mean, even my church, um, I go to a coastal church in Daphne, Alabama, and we have, we have singers in the group that could be, if they were in truth, they could have been artists. Hmm. Uh, and we have, we, we did a live out. We were, they were, everybody was good enough to do at least good enough to do a live album, you know? Right. And it sounds, I, I mean, I have to tell you, it sounds great. I want to check it out. Even by my standards, that's a great record. All right, Kirk. Well, since we landed back on truth, here's another truth question for you. All righty. Were you on the Truth Aerobics album? I was. <laughs> you were? My, pic my, pic my picture's on it. <laughs> did you sing on it? Well, here's the deal is that what they did, it was a, 
it was a best of Benson did a best of and they just they put a bunch of up songs from past albums oh that's funny it wasn't new material okay yeah so they just got everybody to dress up and took took pictures and they you know it was the greatest hits record dressed up as an aerobic album is basically what it was it was Benson's attempt to being Richard Simmons yeah and that's what I equate that particular record company being <laughs> Dude, for all you for all you people out there who think the end all is to get a record contract, man, that is just so far from the truth. <laughs> uh, of course, now with the way things are, the record companies that uh, in the day are have gone the way of the dodo. There is no such thing as there 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 are barely any record companies. I mean, some of the right. if you're you know Lady Gaga or Pharrell Williams or an artist like that, there's really I mean Warner Brothers, and we were Warner Brothers artists, right? Um, but they're because if you get a record contract, they're going to pay for your record, and then you'll pay it back ten times over and never make any money. Right. So, so what they're going to do is they're going to put you on YouTube and advertise you on Twitter, which is what the, what kids are doing anyway, right? And what people are doing anyway, and they can do it without. I'm not promoting uh, Billie Eilish, but Dude, she made a record that sold, I don't mm-hmm. know how many millions of records, in her brother's bedroom on a computer. Wow. I saw the making of I saw where he's oh, got his geez. computer set up there with a, a few, and if I told you what it was, if I told you, you'd know, John, you know, with some a few universal audio things. He made it in Logic. His chair, if you turn around, you have to be careful because you'll bump your knees on the bed. And she sat behind him on the bed and cut all the vocals. Oh, my gosh. Right there, right there sitting on the edge of the bed. And they, they she, he said, this is how we did it, right here. Wow. I sat on the bed and did the vocals. Sit in the bed, cro- uh, his bed crossed her legs with a microphone in her hand, and she cut all the vocals. <laughs> wow. I wonder how she would handle Gordon Twist. Dude, <laughs> let me tell you what. They recouped that album quick. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Okay, so tell me the story about you making the newspaper in Israel. Dude, what what dude, did you I, apologize for? Sorry, all you people who are Obama fans, which I'm not. <laughs> um, uh, Barack Obama was uh, uh, the president at the time, and he had, at that point, kind of treated um, uh, Israel like a redhead stepchild. Right. And of course, as a believer, you know, I believe the Jews are God's chosen people. So to ditch them is like, is not the smartest thing you can do in the eyes of God. Anyway, in fact, in fact it's the dumbest thing you can do in the eyes of God. <laughs> well, I mean, that's what Great Britain did. Great Britain, pro, you know, boasted that, you know, the sun never set on the British Empire because they had uh, colonies all over the world. Mm-hmm. So there was always daylight in a British colony somewhere. And they turned their back on Israel at a really bad time. They don't own property anywhere. Mm-hmm. Up until recent, until 2000, they, they owned a piece of Hong Kong. <laughs> right. So I get a med, uh, email from this guy, and he's uh, I can't remember the name of the. You remember the name of the uh, the newspaper? Israeli Times. It's something like that. Israeli News. Some something like Jerusalem now. Israel. Anyway, this guy evidently uh, had lived in the United States, and he had moved back to uh, Tel Aviv or Jerusalem. I can't remember. So he was a, obviously an editor, and he, went, he said, hey, can we do an interview? And I go, well, sure. And why wouldn't you? So in a couple of weeks, um, we did an interview. And, and then that interview, I publicly apologized <laughs> for the United States for Barack Obama. All of us don't feel that way. Right. Uh, the people, the Christians here in the United States, honor and revere and pray for Israel. Absolutely. Uh, let me tell you what. It's, I wouldn't want to be on the receiving end of those who reject Israel and treat Israel badly. Mm-hmm. And by the way, that land is theirs, so you can edit that out. So I won't. I'm not going to edit it out. It is theirs. So anyway, in a few weeks, I got a paper, you know, and it's in the it's in the middle of the paper somewhere. <laughs> so uh, less than a year later, we get called by. One of the girls that I did a little bit of traveling with is married to Jonathan Falwell. Sherry. Sherry Beeman. So we get a phone call and they want us to do a concert. So we do. So we set up, we do a sound check, and uh, we're back in uh, in catering, eating. And one of, their, one of their young staff guys goes, hey, man, I really enjoyed that article. And I go, well, what are you talking about? <laughs> and what they had 
<laughs> what they had done is they had re-released that story, except they got mine. It's the cover story, and it's on the front of the Pickin' Magazine. That, that's the one yeah, I I'm saw. looking for snipers, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Kirk Sullivan of, apologizes for, you know. Of course, they were all for it. I was just like, I had no idea because the guy didn't send me a copy of the, when they re-released the story. Right. I thought, oh, cool, I'm going to have some guy over here, <laughs> some anti-Israel guy tracking me down. Right. You know? <laughs> Dude, I go, what, what What story are you talking about? Oh, you see the one in Israel today. I go, what do you think was a story? Oh, it's just, that, and that wasn't even the cover story. And he goes, it is now. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that is so awesome. So you brought up Jonathan and Sherry. Do you remember we were in Truth when we were the first live band to ever play Thomas Road Baptist Church, and we hung out with Jerry Falwell that day? Yeah. You remember that? I, oh, I do. Well, you know how, where I met Jonathan? I met Jonathan at PTL, for those of you who don't know that I used to work at PTL in the uh, in 86 and 87 when everything fell apart. Jonathan, my roommate, uh, was the uh, head of travel, so anybody that came in as a guest— my buddy was in charge of the department that was over all of the limousines and that kind of thing. Cool. Um, I walked in one day and Jonathan Falwell and Jim Baker's bodyguard and a couple of other people were in the house. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So I met Jonathan and became, became friends with him. And then later he met and married uh, Sherry Beeman. Yeah. From Hayward, California. Okay, so you read my notes. I don't know how you read my notes because I didn't send them to you, but you brought up my next thing was let's talk PTL. How did you end up going from truth then to priority then to PTL? I was in truth the first time from night from August 81 to November of 1984. Okay. And then as I was leaving for him. No, as you were leaving truth. Yeah, and so he mentioned it to a couple of groups. He uh, Well, one group was called... Uh, Oh, I can't remember the name. And there was another group. Uh, there was a guy here in town that was that booked Dallas Home, the Gaithers, um, Amy Grant. Oh my gosh, I know him. I Gordon Waller. Yeah, that's another story. <laughs> oh, okay. I won't bring up his name. I wound up going with Priority, a bunch of boys from Oklahoma, actually. Right. The draw was they were going to do a new record, and I was their new lead guy. Mm -hmm. And we did a new we. We kind of redid an old record, and I went back and redid all the BGVs. I mean, all the uh, lead, uh, the lead vocals. Right. Not all, not all of them, but the ones that their lead vocalist was. So the draw was that we we're going to be opening for Dallas Home, and we did kind of a short thing. Mm -hmm. So I did that from January 1985 to January 1986, and I left the group in, in January 1986. And a few months later... One of the girls I used to travel with in Truth the first time, a girl named Joni Kearns, mm -hmm. her and her husband are at PTL. So she gives me a call. And the guy that's leaving is Russ Lee, who we talked about a while ago as a lead singer from New Song. Him and his wife, Mary, were leaving. Right. So he held a lead position there. So they called me and I filled that position. That is awesome. So I was there for 14 months and I went to a Truth reunion, a 15-year Truth reunion here in Mobile. And uh, at that point, Mark, Marty, and Andy were in the group, and there was another guy, and he was leaving. He said, uh, I would love for you to consider coming back. Hmm. And so that was like getting a lifeboat in the midst of the Titanic sinking. Right. Yeah. When you started at PTL, Jim and Tammy were gone, correct? No. That, As a matter of fact, PTL was at its absolute peak. They had just finished the water park. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. It was going gangbusters. So when I got there in July of 86, it was going great guns until... Until... January, the first week of January, and we get called in the main auditorium there. They call the barn. Mm -hmm. Jim Baker's lawyer gets up there and delivers the news. And at that point, it just got worse and worse and worse and worse. Wow. And so when Roger came to me in July, that I was there in Mobile when he asked me that. As soon as he said it, I was there. <laughs> right. When you were at PTL, Alicia was your boss? Alicia was my boss, and she left a month before I did because she auditioned and she left. That's awesome. So when Roger said that, I was just like, I'm in. I'm in. Right on. I wake up in a cold sweat at night, you know, dreaming I was back in truth. Right. Knowing, knowing what I was going to wake up to the next day. It was working at PTL. I mean, PTL was a great place, but man, not when you're working 
you know, 80 hours a week and making a thousand dollars a month. Right. Yeah. So, and the, the crazy thing about PTL back then is it was famous in the church and it was infamous in pop culture. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, there are a lot of people who love working there. I just wasn't one of them. Right. Let's segue to this. I have a quick question about your album covers over the years. You've been on a lot of album covers. Have they ever airbrushed you? No, because I was still pretty back then. <laughs> <laughs> you are a beautiful man, I will tell you Oh, that. I'm sure they did. They do a little bit to everybody. But, I mean, our first album cover, I'm 30 years old. I mean, how much airbrushing can you do to a 30-year-old? <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> That's true. We, you know, we were still in truth when our first single went number one. Right. Which, okay, that's another perfect segue. I promise you have my notes. <laughs> I know I played with you on stage about, give or take, around 600 concerts with you guys from 87 to 89. But tell everyone how many concerts you guys, the four of you, sang together in truth before you officially left the bus and became for him. At least a thousand. At least a thousand. At least a thousand. Probably like right in the eleven hundred range. Oh my goodness! Now see, <laughs> you don't get that on American Idol, kids. <laughs> no, you don't. I mean, we were built in. Benson was smart. You know, uh, actually, the idea for him started way before Benson ever offered us a record contract. We did a concert, outdoor concert for the Southern Baptist something here in mobile and it was outside and it was early in the morning like eight nine o'clock in the morning and so mark being from mobile mm -hmm. knew that three blocks away was a mcdonald's you know when we're all hungry giving had breakfast so we all go there and mark and either andy or marty was with him and i was at the table right behind them with the other guy and i don't remember who was sitting with who but they're talking about man you know what we're going to do when we left and Mark said something, man, I would love to start a four, four member guys group. Hmm. Will kind of chimed in. I go, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't forget me. <laughs> I'd love to do that. Right. So we, we, at that point we were all getting real along real well. There was a click. There was a, a thing to click there. When we were on the road in truth, like I, I remember we did like Mark wrote, he built a bridge. Was that during this time? Mark Harris and Mike Childers wrote, he built a bridge. No, no. Uh, and they wrote, God ain't never had a grandchild. Right. <laughs> which is the, which is the, the absolute infamous on the live record, you know, that we did. Right. Was that the time when you guys started talking about it though? Was while that, during that, he built a bridge thing? It we had talked about it. It was in the back of our minds. And then, you know, we were doing, uh, you know, we finally doing the guys only version of uh, a parody on deck the halls. Yes. So there was about a month or so where for one reason or another, the Benson company, uh, the record company who was also truce record company, they were at two, two or three shows one month. Right. And uh, so a few weeks after that, we're in uh, some little teeny tan, tiny town in Kentucky mm -hmm. at a mom and pop. And uh, Roger calls us in his room. He said, "Hey, look, uh, the Benson Company just came to me, and they wanna they wanna sign you guys as an artist." And Roger had already he had done that with another uh, some of his guys in the seventies. He said, "I want nothing to do with it." Right. Of course, you don't know at that point if it's going to sink or swim or right. <laughs> you know what it, what it's going to do. I mean, people don't realize that you know you're doing all those concerts and you're just hoping to you you're not thinking about any award or a plaque for selling records or, you know, God help me, you know, gospel music hall of fame. You're not thinking about any of that. You're just thinking about, you know, can we pay the bills and you know, all that and know? keep doing what you love. Yeah, exactly. You're not thinking about any success. You're just thinking about what's in front of you the next day. Right. So let me ask you something, Kirk, because you would be the expert go-to guy. You get one, you would be one of four guys that could actually answer this accurately. Okay. I never inflate or embellish my resume. In fact, I always downplay things. Uh -huh. Would I be stretching the truth if I said I played for for him? Yeah, you did about 600 times. <laughs> I, well, <laughs> I know, but I never say for him because we were in truth. And even though you guys right. came out and sang songs as the four guys with, in the last few months I was there, you did get introduced as for him. 
like yeah but you played you played on songs we only the four of us sang on oh that's right i was I, we recorded he built a bridge on that custom album that's right and you played on you didn't did you play on the guys only version of uh, deck the halls I yes remember. i did there you go i forgot about that i hadn't really put much thought into that but that's good to know i wouldn't be exaggerating yeah there you go i i can ba- i can verify that for you bud uh, good to know good to know <laughs> All right. I do remember, I, I'm sure this was a very, very cool day. I remember the day JRB had everybody in the front lounge and he announced that you guys were going to sign with Benson and made the big deal about it. And then we passed the yellow legal pad around the bus so everyone could write down suggestions for a new name. Yeah. Do you remember that? I do. Do you remember any of the names that got rejected? <laughs> what I remember is B put us in the van. Well, he made the announcement to the bus, I believe, is what happened. Oh, my gosh, you're right. Yeah. That is, that's right. I forgot about that. You guys were in the van. He passed legal pad around, and we all got to write down names uh, that we thought would be good names for you guys for your new group. And I think it was Mike Childers. Uh, Run DMC was popular back then, and half the bus called Roger JRB. So Mike Childers, I think, said, Run JRB. <laughs> 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 oh man we had all kinds andy was the youngest by you know four or five years so right one of the names was three men and a baby <laughs> <laughs> that's right and, and of all things and i have not seen him since the name we used was a guy we used the name guy suggested by a trumpet player his name was dave mantini i remember vividly yeah well man the name was brilliant and thank you dave mantini we're in the in the room and they have the president of the record company and our a and r we're all in an office right mm-hmm. and we're going to sign right he said well the only problem is you guys don't have a name <laughs> so all these writers uh they're submitting uh some of them are submitting hey you know this is for the truth guys you know they made you know it's cassettes back then uh and uh, and or the for him guys and most of them were it was the because that name had kind of gotten out and they said so the most of the 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 people who you know sent us songs were used the name on the packet was the for him guys and so as we're sitting here in the office going well what do you want to do i go and we're just kind of like go go well let's just use for him <laughs> <laughs> that's just that's just kind of what it was that is awesome we barely had a name before I'm trying to remember if we had a name before we, we, we cut anything. That is hilarious. The real funny thing is a guy named Jonathan David Brown, who produced Where There Is Faith, mm-hmm. produced my record when I was 12 years old <laughs> in Oklahoma City. Now, did you guys remember each other? <laughs> we did. That's awesome. Because at one point, he was da- he had dated my cousin. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, and then Jonathan produced, you know, Paul Smith, Twyla Paris. Yep. Petra. He, I think maybe Petra. Yep. But he was brilliant. Yeah, there are other names that the girl who was who co-managed Atkins Muse was uh, went to the college I went to when I, I mean, my voice teacher was at this college, a Christian college. Uh, and I was taking I started taking lessons when I was about 12 and he was the head of the music department. And they had a PR group that travel weekends, you know, like all Christian colleges do. Right. And she was in the group and I kind of idolized them. I actually went on a couple of tr- weekend trips with them and I became friends with her. 20 years later, we're doing a photo shoot for young our first Young Messiah tour, and she walks by, and I go, Pam? And she goes, Kirk? Because <laughs> I was 33, and the last time I saw her, I was 13. Oh, that's funny. So, yeah, she was the, yeah, the, uh, the Muse partner of Atkins Muse, for those right. who, who, who probably don't. Atkins Muses was like, you know, Jackie Velasquez and Wayne Watson, Point of Grace, and the list goes on. So, yeah, they were uh, Wayne's manager when I did his tour. Yeah, Wayne Watson's manager. We did, we did, we did, uh, and Scott Crepane. And we did, uh, the four of us, we did, um, I think we did two Christmas tours, Scotty and Point of Grace, Wayne and us. Right. Atkins Muse also was doing Petra. And I, John was the first guest ever on my podcast a month ago, John Schlitt. Oh, yeah. He told me to tell you hello. Well, bless his heart. I love John. He's such a great guy. He is. He's very humble and funny. He's doing, he, he does all those session things and gigs with Jay Seculo. Mm-hmm. He does. Oh, it's way cool. I didn't know Seculo could play drums like that, but he can play. Yeah, he's good. He is good. John loves that band. He loves being part of that band. 
All right. So, Kirk, one last thing before I let you go. I know you, uh, your wife's off today. I appreciate all your time. But before I let you go, out of all the pinch-me moments you've had in your life, all the miles, all the albums, all the hard work, what is the most memorable moment you think you've had so far? Well, getting married was one. Right. Nobody thought that was going to happen either. <laughs> um, we all knew because we knew how lovable you were. The, the, uh, the Gospel Music Hall of Fame was cool, but the first thing, man, that's a tough thing. Because I remember when I got in, tr- when they called me, I, I can, I can, I'll give you two. The day it was June. June 1981, and the phone rang, and I picked it up, and it was Stephen Taylor. Mm. He said, uh, hey, we uh, we want you to join a group. And I was just like, how about fainted? Oh, that's awesome. How cool. Yeah, because because I had uh, I had been in a group like Truth uh, a, a year earlier, and one of the guys that was that left my group and went to Truth was a guy named Eddie Anders. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so every time they'd come to Oklahoma City, I'd go see Truth. And I'd never heard of him. I just went to go see Eddie and his wife, Nancy. Right. So I became, I kind of was introduced. I remember the first time I saw Roger. Uh, and the night we won New Artist. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I I mean, we're going, you know, we're we're actually up against, you know, we're up against DC Talk. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and uh, Mom and Pop Winans, and they were real pop, you know, the mom, mom and dad of the Winans. Right. And I can't remember. There, there was another group I don't remember. But we were just, we were just all, you know, we're all a bunch of truth boys. We're just glad to be in the auditorium. Right. You know, and when we won, there's a picture of us, and my mouth is open. Marty, from what I remember, wasn't conscious of what he was doing. He was tapping a podium, and while Mark's talking, all you can hear is boom, oh no, boom, boom. <laughs> and Mark, I I have my mouth open, and you can see the the surprise on Marty's face. And uh, it was as surreal moment as I've ex- ever experienced in my life because I never, not in a hundred years. I mean, I went from not knowing if Roger was going to send me home or not right. to you know getting new artists. And I know it was I know it was God's doing because we I, I mean like I said we weren't with the right record company and you know but anyway we worked right. hard and if we didn't get anything else that'd be great and then we got our first gold record right um, and then we got we've got a few other things that we did we did we got gold and platinum from other we have three gold and three gold and one platinum one one is basics and the other three are. Um, they're compilations, my utmost for his highest, and two wow albums we did went gold and platinum. Dude, that's fantastic. Gold and platinum albums in Christian music are not easy to come by. No, well, and they're impossible now. Right. right. <laughs> man, Kirk, I cannot thank you enough for your time, dude. I'm going to get you out of here. Anything for you, man. That means a lot coming from you, bud. I love you, dude, and I will talk to you soon. Love you too, buddy. The one, the only Kirk Sullivan. Hey Rockstar provides digital marketing software and services for your church to generate more interest, create more exposure, and reach more people. Let Hey Rockstar amplify the awesomeness of your ministry. And, as always, Hey Rockstar is a proud sponsor of the Stage Right with John Thorne podcast. Thank you, Hey Rockstar. Thank you for listening, and my thanks to Kirk Sullivan for being my guest today. Next Thursday... Denny Keatsman, the legendary tour and production manager from DC Talk. Have a great week.